Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of 321Go Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scanlon. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different than our typical episodes. We had some guests lined up, and I decided to... We have a really big announcement that I'll make uh, toward the end of this show, so stay tuned. But I wanted to take a minute to talk about and carry on a theme that we had in some previous episodes on tipping points. And I want to talk specifically about some tipping points that I experienced in my business. I sort of realized that, you know, maybe a year ago, uh, Julie Weldon, a member of our leadership team here, interviewed me and I shared with my story, I shared with her my story a little bit, but I really didn't have the chance to go in depth. So I thought I would take this opportunity to do so. But first, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Icon Athlete Affiliate Programming. Uh, So Icon Athlete is the brainchild of Chris Spieler. Uh, Go to iconathlete.com slash 321go if you want to learn more about what he's got going on over there. Now, I'll tell you, I, I actually use Icon. I do it every day myself as an athlete, but we also use it here in our affiliate and I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but when I think about the life cycle of an athlete, not necessarily their membership retention, the business side of things, but I think about the things that they're interested in as an athlete. And oftentimes when somebody first comes in, they go through your onboarding process or your fundamentals, whatever you call it, they're really gung-ho about this idea of coming in and doing a CrossFit class for an hour, like in and out in an hour, high-fiving their friends. They're digging it. They're just happy to be, like, moving and having fun. And as is natural in any sort of athletic progression, they begin to look at the different aspects of what we do in CrossFit. They look at weightlifting, monostructural movement, and gymnastics, and they start to become interested in those components on their own. They maybe become interested in body composition change, or maybe they're interested in getting as strong as they possibly can for a certain period of time. Uh, But kind of the first thing that always comes around for people is that first pull-up, or that first push-up, or that first muscle-up. And they want to have the opportunity to work on these things. Now, I think that is a great pursuit. If most of us as affiliate owners were honest with ourselves, we would come to, we'd realize that looking back at some point, you're probably a member of an affiliate and probably you got really into CrossFit and programming and you maybe thought to yourself, you know, this gym could do better as far as programming goes or, you know, I feel like we're not doing enough strength work and or whatever it is. And so you started to get interested in these different programs that are out there. Now, as the affiliate owner, your goal is to sort of maintain this community and cohesiveness, right? So it's sort of the, the WAD. It's that group workout of the day that really provides that community aspect, the relationship between coach and athlete. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we create freedom for these athletes to explore weightlifting or explore gymnastics for some period of time while maintaining the integrity of that group class. And that's something I know personally I always struggled with in in my affiliate. It's like, guys, I want you to prioritize the group class and then by all means peel off an open gym and work on something for 20 minutes. And things started to really – things can disintegrate really quickly when you have – you know, such and such following one program, so-and-so doing another thing, and nothing is ever integrated, really. And I say all of this not only to highlight one of the tipping points that I'm going to talk about in my affiliate, but to highlight the real value that Chris Spieler brings with Icon Athlete. He has these programming tracks that can be followed on their own, uh, or they're also broken up into individual components that can be delivered to athletes on an individual level. But the cool thing about it all is that it all centers around a singular workout of the day. And in my opinion, this is sort of group classes done right. Everybody, regardless of skill level, does the same wad that day. And then... 
Susie wants to go work on her back squat. Awesome. We have these strength components that you can build on top of that. Uh, Steve wants his first muscle up. Awesome. Hey, Steve, after you're done with the wad, go over here. Here are some gymnastics pieces you can work on. And really, in my opinion, that's how we get this thing right. We prioritize GPP. That's what we're, that's our DNA is GPP. So we prioritize the day's wad. We prioritize intensity in there. But then we as coaches and affiliate owners can sort of give these very valuable personalized components to our athletes. So in my opinion, the value that Chris brings with Icon Athlete Affiliate Programming is not necessarily, hey, you get some free time back because you outsourced your programming. Yes, that's one component of it. Um, but I think the real value is the ability to provide these individual pieces while retaining the integrity of the workout of the day. Now, whether you choose to outsource that or you choose to program it yourself, I'm of the opinion, I, I've seen it enough times that I believe everybody doing the wad together is super important and then peeling off and doing your more biased programming pieces as an accessory to that wad. In, in my experience, that's had the, the best effect on my retention and sort of the best effect on sort of community cohesiveness, which is probably synonymous with retention. So again, if you're interested, head over to iconathlete.com slash 321go, uh, see what Chris has to offer Again, it's something I use myself and something you probably would get a lot of value out of, uh, but go check it out. So today's episode, as I said, some time ago, we did a three-part series where I interviewed different CrossFit affiliate owners about the tipping points that they've experienced in their affiliate. These were by far, I mean, obviously aside from the more celebrity podcast, you know, celebrity, CrossFit celebrity <laughs> podcasts I've done. Those those obviously get a ton of listens. But uh, aside from the sort of celebrity interviews we've done, uh, these have been the most popular episodes that, that I've published. And I think it is because these affiliate owners that we interviewed, some of them are crushing it. Some of them are just starting off. Some of them are struggling. Some of them just quit their job. Some of them are trying to manage a full-time job while running an affiliate. These are all super relatable stories that are very real. This is actually what's going on in affiliate land out there. So what I wanted to do is dedicate an entire show to just sharing my story with you guys, sharing with you some of the tipping points and changes that I've made in my affiliate, in my you know, life as a business owner when I've owned other businesses. And just on, to bring some honesty to the table, I honestly, I canceled, I, I had scheduled to post today uh, a different episode, an interview with a, a CEO of an, an online product. And, and I decided to cancel that interview and I'm going to publish it at, at a later date. But I, this weekend I got wrapped up in the comment section on Facebook. I'm not much of a commenter, as, as most of you know, in our 321Go think tank. Those of you that are members of the hub, you also have access to this online community. It is incredibly supportive. I, I love that community, and I'm more apt to comment in there. But if you are an affiliate owner, you're listening to this, you know the types of threads that I'm talking about. And... I was just reading through this thread over the weekend, and it just it, it was disturbing because of the, the lack of honesty and forthrightness to which a lot of people in the consulting or CrossFit marketing industry, there's just an extreme lack of honesty and story there. In particular, I was reading a thread about you know, the sort of next system to get you 100 members a month or 150 members a month if you only do this secret system here. And in my head, I do some quick math, right? You add 100 members a month, by the end of a month, you have 1,200 members, right? So if you're in a 10,000-square-foot affiliate, you've got an hourly occupancy of roughly 200 people. Like, the math just doesn't really work out oftentimes you know so 
I think it's really common when people have a special marketing program they're going to sell you or a special business coaching system that we tend to really highlight the outliers in those systems and it leaves the rest of us just sort of wondering, are we missing some type of secret sauce? If I just do this one thing, is that going to be the thing that changes my business? Is that going to be the thing that brings me home meaningful income? Is that the thing that gets me over the 150 member mark? There's just unfortunately not a lot of honesty. And if I could provide an example of this as it relates to like coaching and training people, uh, a couple years ago in my gym, I started a podcast. And the only reason for starting this podcast was because I started to have members come up to me and say things like, oh, I've been thinking about doing intermittent fasting. I've been thinking about doing the keto diet. I've been thinking about doing uh, working against gravity, renaissance periodization, eat to perform. You know, like I've been thinking about doing, you know, human growth hormone, whatever it is. Like I've heard deer antlers amazing. Uh, what do you think about casein protein? Like I had a lot of members coming up to me and – they were really concerned about the minutia, right? They were concerned about that last 5% of fitness, the you know, supplementation, um, micronutrients. When I knew, you, you and I both know this, right? If you're a coach, you know that if a member's going out and, you know, Thursday through Sunday, they're going out to the bars and drinking and they're eating nachos at night. They haven't touched a vegetable in a year and a half. They, you know, just come in and do five by five back squat and never do a Metcon like, and they're frustrated about their fitness and they come up to you and they're saying, Hey coach, uh, I feel like I need to get more magnesium in. And in your head, you're thinking, bro, uh, why don't you lay off the booze, eat a chicken breast and some broccoli and like do that consistently. Right. Uh, enough of these 30-day challenges. Just do something consistently, drink some water, and you'll probably become fit. And so I started a podcast. And the the podcast was all about ignoring these sort of genetic outliers, right? You know, keto works for a lot of people, right? It also doesn't work for a lot of people. So what I wanted to do is start sharing information with my members that would apply to the 90% of people. And, you know, eating vegetables and lean protein, drinking water, doing a Metcon for an hour a day will lead to incredible levels of fitness long-term. It's, it's simple. You and I both know that it's really simple. And, and so I started this podcast where I was just going to talk very honestly about what does the evidence say, what will work for everybody in the listening audience, and... The entire crux of the show is about being reasonable about your fitness, taking care of the 90 to 95% of fitness before you start digging into the 5% of minutia. So for this episode of 321 Go Podcast, that's what we're talking about. What are the things that have worked in my business with the hundreds of other gym owners I've talked to? What are those tipping points that are common denominators and what will work for 90% of you? Because I'm going to be honest, when I get onto these message boards and I look in these comments section, it just, it's frustrating because I have been there. I have been the lonely affiliate owner sitting in an empty gym at 2 o'clock in the afternoon wondering how do I fill up this hour and thinking that these other gym owners have this secret that I just haven't uncovered yet. And I would just spend hours in these message boards what is your secret to filling out these time slots and then coming to the realization that there just isn't a secret anybody that tells you there's a secret is probably lying just like you guys know as it relates to fitness there is not one supplement that you can obtain legally (laughs) that will lead to this outrageous amount of fitness so i'm gonna start with my story so uh, my story in fitness, I, I discovered uh, Olympic weightlifting when I was in high school. Now, I wasn't always a, 
I was never super athletic, really, and uh, I had I did a lot of board sports and things like that. So skateboarding, snowboarding, uh, BMX, mountain biking, things like that. And I, uh, uh, my best friend actually, one summer went to a weightlifting gym, and and then he came back to you know we came back to school after the summer, and I remember watching this guy do the snatch and clean and jerk. And just being enthralled with it, thinking it was if you watch somebody do it well, you got to admit the first time you see somebody do that, it is an incredible sight to be seen and i've always I've never been a big guy, so i you know my weight has always been you know between one hundred and fifty pounds to probably one eighty at my at my strongest, so I was really drawn to this idea of a sport where um speed you know, where like speed and coordination was favored and you could be put into a weight class. So, so naturally as a small guy that, uh, had some decent coordination speed from doing a lot of board and extreme sports, I was, I gravitated towards Olympic weightlifting. So I found that and I, so I, that's when I was first introduced to the barbell sort of functional training, things beyond, uh, you know, dumbbell chest flies. And things like that. So, uh, fast forward uh, after high school, I, I went to college and I started working with uh, adaptive athletes. Well, actually, they weren't adaptive athletes at the time, but I was doing medical transportation. So, I would I would transport people with disabilities in a van. I got a special license to do it, and I sort of worked in the medical-ish field, and approached my boss once and said, hey, listen, I've noticed that there's really no physical activity for any of these people to do. We're always, you know, taking them out to McDonald's and all of this stuff. What if we created an adaptive sports program? And that's how it started. So I first started um, working with kids that had cerebral palsy, and we would do, like, really basic weight training and swimming in pools and you know, we would train them, you know, we do do like dumbbell exercises that would help them transfer in and out of their wheelchair into bed. And fast forward, we started work doing uh, like soccer clinics for kids with autism and things like that. So that was kind of my foray into uh, eventually becoming a fitness professional. Uh, around that same time, I got offered a, a scholarship to go travel around the world and I got to go study it all of these awesome universities in uh, Europe, Africa, South America. I got to do a lot of cool internships with the State Department and kind of fell in love with that world. So uh, I decided to put all my eggs in that basket. I studied uh, political science in school, and but always kind of had one foot in healthcare. After I got out of school, I did a couple internships in politics, decided that that was a terrible place to be in, uh, I did not enjoy it at all, and so I kind of went back to the healthcare route. I got a cool job. My first job out of out of college was really cool because it sort of allowed me to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. In college, I started a bunch of different businesses. Uh, you know, like we did like estate liquidation. Um, you know, we did. We did like natural disaster. We had some hailstorms and things like that. So we did some like relief projects and and cleanup stuff. So I've always kind of had this entrepreneurial itch in me. And so this first job that I got in healthcare sort of allowed me to do that. Um, What I did is I had a big state block grant that I administered and I had a goal. Uh, You know, the state said, all right, currently we're paying, let's call it $5 million for state funded long-term healthcare. Uh, If you can bring that cost down to $2.5 million, I'm just giving you an example here, and provide that same level of care in somebody's home, we will continue to renew your grant. So from my perspective, it was really cool because it allowed me to sort of have a budget, create a business, and create systems and processes around this. I, I absolutely loved this job. It was a ton of fun. And I also thought that I was going to make a, a difference. That That's really what drew me to it is that I felt that I would go and I would hang out with these, you know, grandmas and find these grandmas that are nursing homes that really don't need nursing home level care, 
but maybe they don't have children, or maybe their children are across the country. And I could go in and we could look at, all right, what is the cost to provide care to grandma? All right, can we cut this cost in half, uh, hire a nurse to provide the same level of care in her home, and grandma live happily ever after in her home? This, that was like the vision that I have of, had of this job, which really excited me. The reality of the matter is, is it, it wasn't grandma. It was the vast majority of people that we would help, and I I worked in oh, probably about 120 long-term care facilities. You know, average average beds in, in each one of these facilities were about 100 to 120. So we're talking thousands of people that, that were coming in and out of these places that I had contact with. I realized that the vast, vast majority of these people were in their 40s and 50s. There was no grandma to be found in these state-funded long-term care facilities. Um, Primarily, the people that were there were there because of lifestyle diseases. So uh, type 2 diabetes and associated comorbidities and, you know, uh, cardiovascular disease was a big one, and and drug addiction, frankly. So it was a lot of these very preventable lifestyle diseases, and I was immediately sort of just beat down by how depressing this was, like very depressing. And I'll never forget, I, I had this moment where I was sitting across from a woman that at the time was younger than my mom, and... We were reviewing her plan of care with her doctors. We were, you know, we had actuarial, actuarials, is that it? Yeah. Where we were essentially looking at, okay, what was this cost? What is this cost of care long term? And we sort of came to the conclusion that this woman would, would probably be in a long term care facility for her entire life. For her entire life. She would probably be living in a long-term care facility, and she was in her early 50s. That we could not bring, for, for a woman 52 years old, we could not afford to bring her care into the home because of completely preventable lifestyle diseases. So I'm talking diet and exercise, very simply. And For me, at that moment, the bloom was off the rose for this job. And the, my purpose became really clear at that point. Um, at this juncture, I had already started my gym. It was a hobby. I had this full-time job. I'd wake up early, coach the early morning class, head to work, uh, get off work, coach the evening classes. This is a story that many of you are really familiar with. I started my affiliate in a park with free park workouts with some friends. Um, there was really no intent to, to start a gym at this point. We all did CrossFit. We really enjoyed it, and we just wanted to go do CrossFit in a park. Uh, pretty basic, very common story. We had about 1,500 people come out to the park and work out with us, and the first test that we did was like, hey, let's sell some T-shirts. Let's see who will give us money for a T-shirt. Um, we sold out of like 200 T-shirts. People kept coming to the park. Eventually, we realized that... Um, uh game of thrones fans we realized that winter was coming so (laughs) uh, we're gonna have to cancel these park workouts and we realized we better start looking for a space and we should open a gym open the gym as a hobby a way to put all these people that have been working out with us in the park and a place for us to all train together so this had been going on for about a year and a half to two years at the point i was sitting across the table from this woman and in that moment, it, it's so clear. Like, I can still see her face. In that moment, I realized that that was the purpose of our gym, is to find people before they get to that stage and intercept them. That our place was not necessarily in fitness, but our place was on the continuum of healthcare. That that. Our strategic advantage was preventative health care. So this brings me to the first tipping point in my affiliate. And that, that was 
that tipping point is finding my why is that why for me remember i first fell in love with the snatch and clean and jerk and then i found crossfit a few years later did crossfit with a guy in a ymca in like 2008 you know that was like my first crossfit workout partner and you know but that moment sitting across from that woman in 2013 or so 2014 a couple years after i started my affiliate five years after i found crossfit i realized that like thrusters don't matter and burpees don't matter and fran time does like those things don't really matter to me what is going to keep me getting up every morning is preventing this from happening so when i think about my tipping point it was that like that was the moment that nothing changed overnight my affiliate didn't change my number of members didn't change but my attitude about my affiliate changed in that moment and it had been open for almost two years at this point before i finally found my why but that was a tipping point that tipping point of understanding that my singular goal is preventative health care no matter what and that that can look like anything that can be thrusters um that can be zumba that can be yoga that can be nutrition that can be anything but that is my why is being on this continuum of preventative health care uh, I needed a purpose higher than just fitness. You know, my passion for fitness, uh, passion has a shelf life, which we will talk about a lot in this episode. And for me, realizing that I had this sort of higher passion that I just hadn't connected the dots yet, that was a tipping point. That was a moment that I said to myself, this gym is no longer a hobby. It's no longer a fun place for me and my friends to work out. This gym exists to change people's lives. A lot of you have a story very similar to that. Um, if you don't have that story yet, look for it. it it's, it's probably already happened to you, but you need to look for it, and you need to reconnect with that story. So talking about our, the first of my tipping points is finding my why and learning from that failure. I don't believe that anybody has ever read a business book and figured out business based on their knowledge of business. In fact, I would say quite the opposite. I have my one-on-one -on -one interactions with gym owners is oh, probably in the thousands at this point, conversations I've had via email, over FaceTime, on the phone, in person. And I often find that the most successful business owners got into it with very little knowledge about business at all. And they became successful through failure. They are the ones that fail fast and learn from those failures. In fact, I've actually found quite the opposite to be true of somebody that has an extensive knowledge of business. Uh, almost unanimously, when I see a business, or let's even say a gym in particular, where the gym was formed with a lot of capital behind it, uh, millions of dollars of private equity, or maybe some big-name sponsors, or somebody coming to the gym with an MBA or a history in finance, I often find that these are the gyms that are least profitable. They may have millions of dollars in gross revenue, but they have millions of dollars of expenses. And my assumption here, granted, is anecdotal. I don't have a ton of great data to support this, but... Oftentimes when I see a business that has a ton of cash behind it and they put somebody with an MBA or uh, a finance expert or a CFO from another company into this role to be an entrepreneur, they're essentially taking somebody 
that has business knowledge and putting them in the role of entrepreneur with the belief that the two are one and the same. I'm of the belief that the great entrepreneur is the one that can fail quickly and learn from that failure. Now, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but if you kind of go from high school to bachelor's degree to MBA to decent six salary figure job, there's not a ton of failure out there. You know, there's never a point where this person is liquidating their 401k and failing and having zero dollars and zero other options. There's not that incentive there. So, I'm of the belief that because these people are put in charge of these massive, you know, private equity funded gyms, they're not profitable because this person has actually never failed before. That's really where we learn our lessons. Uh, I, you know, I have heard a ton of stories like that, and I've also heard a ton of stories that is, hey, I started out of my garage. I started out of the back of my pickup in a, uh, in a park. And I screwed up a ton of stuff, but I learned from each one of those experiences. And I think it's through that failure that most entrepreneurs learn things. The, you know, if you think through like who are the great entrepreneurs of our time, Elon Musk, for example, like this is a guy who has failed quite a bit and failed quite publicly and, uh, Pretty catastrophically, if you read Elon Musk's biography, there are several times where he was hours from complete bankruptcy in his companies. And I feel like it's from this failure that great entrepreneurs are born. So my tipping point has to do with a company that I started that failed miserably uh, around the same time that I was doing workouts with people in a park and thinking about opening a CrossFit affiliate, I also had another side hustle. And the name of the company was Shift Space. Me and, and a college roommate started this company. He was an expert in marketing, specifically social media marketing. He worked in the music industry and was quite successful at what he did. And I had worked in politics and healthcare and nonprofit organizations. And we thought, you know, there'll become a day when campaigns are run on social media. Uh, bear in mind, that this is probably 2000, oh, 2010, 2011 at this point. And we had a conversation where, you know, it's it's on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. This is where sort of companies will be born and this is where campaigns will be won and so we thought this is interesting let's marry both of our respective expertise and let's start a company out of this well uh needless to say we failed miserably <laughs> absolutely miserably not because a product that we provided wasn't good it was a valuable product uh, uh, certainly in the not-for-profit and the political space, it was much too early to be doing this. We were probably two, three years ahead of where we needed to be. But more importantly, through this failure, I learned something incredible, uh, and that was the ability to niche down your product or niche down your audience. See, we're providing a valuable service. Like the service was really good. Um, doing social media marketing strategy, which was a great and valuable service. Uh, I believe that we did a great job at it. But we didn't define who we were doing it for. You know, see, my friend had some clients that he brought from music. I had some uh, clients from healthcare that I brought. We were interested in what it would look like to run a local political campaign on social media. We were interested in doing some pro bono work for not-for-profit organizations. We never defined who we actually served. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that we failed. Um, 
amongst other reasons, neither one of us were fully committed, which I'll get to here in a second. But we never niched down our audience. And so what I took from that was to, to my business, to my gym business, what I took from that experience is that if you have a gym and you attempt to be all things to all people, ultimately you will be nothing to no one. Uh, it is, you know, there's a reason that insurance providers, when they niche down an industry, they can learn that industry really, really well, and they can assess risk really, really well in that industry, and they're oftentimes very, very successful. Um, same thing with attorneys. Hell, it's the same thing with doctors. You know, the most successful doctors are the one that perform a singular surgery. Not only a type of surgery. I mean, I've got a good friend of mine who he's an orthopedic surgeon. And he chose that specialty of orthopedic surgery. Uh, Not only did he do that, but he niched himself even further. And he is a hip uh, orthopedic surgeon. All he does is hip surgeries. He went and got even further specialized where he does one very, very specific type of hip replacement for a certain type, you know, age and activity level for a certain type of patient. So he's super, super niched down. And there's this fear that uh, as you niche down, your audience becomes smaller. You don't have a big enough pool to choose clients from. This, in my opinion, is probably one of the business biggest misnomers in business uh, you hear it all the time you know whatever it is whatever industry the the coffee industry is a two billion dollar industry if i could just capture one percent of a two billion dollar industry i'll be set for life right one of the biggest mistakes that anybody makes going into business i'm going to open up a gym my city has two and a half million people in it if i can just capture one tenth of one percent of those people you know, I haven't defined my niche. So for us as gym owners, or I'm not even going to say for us as gym owners. I'm talking about for me personally. This is I'm sharing my tipping points here. For me, this was a choice. Like, who is it that I train? You know, I have my why, as we talked about. That was my first tipping point. How does my why translate to the people that I train? Do I really care about regionals? If my why is preventative health care, do I care about the games? Do I care about having this robust competitors program? I don't know. Do I care about weightlifters? Do I care about powerlifting? Like all of these ancillary decisions that come up as a gym owner, when you think about your programming and your athletes and your marketing, have you defined your why and have you defined who your audience is? Have you niched yourself down? I think there's room. I think there's space in our industry for all of the above. Anybody that tells you, hey, it's a waste of your time and money to train games athletes. Nobody joins a gym because they're games athletes. Well, that can be your niche. you know. But the mistake here is not defining your niche. After all, I really believe marketing in the future is not necessarily getting your message out to the most amount of people. It's taking a large pie of people and whacking up that pie to as small of a sliver as absolutely possible and then having a message that, re- that resonates with that tiny sliver of people. There's so much noise out there right now as it relates to marketing, especially because you can get into the marketing game for boosting a Facebook post for five bucks a day, right? That's a lot of noise. So our goal is to take this massive audience, which is essentially the population that's a 10 or 15 mile radius from your gym, and getting a microscopic sliver of a niche of that audience that is loyal to your brand and loyal to what you do. So my second tipping point is understanding that a niche matters, that I can't be everything to everybody. And that's really why this company failed, and it failed pretty pretty miserably. But um, I think that learning from that failure 
is really gave me a, a strategic advantage. My third tipping point. I share with you the story about finding my why. And in finding this why, I, I made a decision that this gym could no longer be a hobby. I couldn't, I couldn't make this gym what I wanted it to be and still have another job on top of it. So as all of this was going down, as this one company failed, as shift space was just failing and floundering, and I was just pumping time and time and time into this thing, realizing that it was a turd, leaving that behind. Now I've got this other job in healthcare, and I've got this gym. Uh, Around this same time, I actually got a job offer to come on board as the chief operating officer of a startup company, and it was a healthcare startup company. And this company was starting to get into uh, medical tourism. So medical tourism is um, where somebody will travel to another country to pay out of pocket for certain procedures, uh, either because their health insurance won't allow for it or because a certain surgeon in another country is known for this procedure, or you're, or you're wanting to pursue an experimental treatment or things like that. So medical tourism. Uh, this company was going to create a database of um, different physicians, and the goal was to go out and get these hospital contracts and put together packages for medical tourism. Uh, it was a great opportunity. Uh, the the starting the starting salary had a, there was an equity piece in the starting salary. It was six figures to start off. Uh, amazing bonus structure. I mean, it was it was an incredible opportunity. I mean, I was in my late twenties, and the the thought of this kind of money was outrageous uh, to me. I went through a first interview. I uh, got a second interview, and it finally came down to uh, it was a third third Skype interview, and I was expecting an offer, and there was an offer on the table for me. And at this point, I was really wrestling with: Do I want to do this gym thing? Do I want to go here? Do I want to go chase this money? And when I got that job offer, it was one of the most difficult, absolutely one of the most difficult decisions that I ever made because I knew if I was going to turn down this job, uh, I would have to go full-time in the gym. And the, the woman interviewing me for the job, she said straight up, uh, I, I told her my decision. I was like, do you know what? I feel that I need to go do this gym full-time. And she said to me, you are you are an idiot. You're turning down a six-figure salary. You're turning down equity. You're turning down this bonus structure. Like this is this is more money than you will ever see in a gym. And I told her, do you know what? I would rather make half as much money and sign my own paychecks than to work for somebody else. And, and I I absolutely felt that way. I felt that way today, uh, or I feel that way today. And, and I told her, you know what? I would rather, and I and I said, I was like, listen, I'm going to sign my own six-figure paycheck uh, by the time I'm 30. And that's what I told her. And, and I left that, and that became my singular focus at that point. Now, uh, that didn't exactly happen when I was 30. Happened uh, a little, <laughs> a little bit after. But um, I was probably speaking uh, in hyperbole to, to this lady. But uh, that's besides the point. But the point was, is like that was a tipping point for me. I, I never would have had my own thing if I wasn't forced to have my own thing. I don't know if that makes sense. But for me, and those of you listening that have ever quit your job to run your gym full time, you know that at that point, you're forced to succeed. You have no other choice but to succeed. You don't have health care. You're paying yourself peanuts. You know, you ha- this thing has to work. Uh, those of you on the fence for doing this, I will say there is nothing more motivating than the very real incentive of being forced to have your business work. So it was a tipping point for me. Um, also, accompanying that was the loneliness that comes with full-time entrepreneurship. Uh, 
incredible loneliness, coaching every class, doing – well, I didn't have payroll, so I didn't have to do that. Uh, cleaning the bathrooms, you know, scrubbing the floors, figuring out how to do marketing, you know, scouring these uh, forums online, just trying to figure out what am I going to do. It was really, really hard. Um, it forced me to come up against my thoughts of what it means to break even in this business. I used to think, hey, if I'm covering my rent, I'm covering my utilities, I'm covering my uh, affiliation and insurance, you know, I, I'm breaking even. Yes, that's awesome. Like I broke even in a year. But then when you're actually doing everything and you're working from 5 o'clock in the morning to 8, 9 o'clock at night and you realize, shit, I really need to hire somebody, you realize, ooh, that's not break even. I don't have any salaries figured in here. I don't have health insurance for myself figured in here. I don't have payroll expenses figured in here. You realize what actual break-even is. And then for me, realizing that, then I had a decision to make. So this is my next tipping point where I had to realize, okay, what do I want to do with this thing? Do I want to cobble this thing along, you know, barely covering my bills, not providing a meaningful income for me and my family, uh, not having retirement opportunities, not having a fully-fledged staff that is also paid what they're worth? There's no, wrong, like, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Like, if you, if you get to this point and you feel like having a full-fledged, like, thing that can run without you where everybody's getting paid and you actually have income that can support all of these people, you realize that's not for you? There's nothing wrong with that. By all means, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But, you know, jumping off the train of this being a hobby and going full-time, that is absolute incentive. And that's an absolute tipping point for me. Along with this, my next tipping point is... Hiring my first coach, I, I will. Ne it's like this is etched into my brain. First guy that I ever hired is he's now our director of training. He is a bricking rock star, and he showed up on day one. He goes, "Hey, uh, want to work out together today?" I was like, uh, "Yeah, let's work out together." Uh, throughout the course of working out together, he said, "Listen, I just moved here. I just got out of the, out of the Marine Corps." Uh, I, I want to coach at a gym, um, and whatever it takes, I'll hang out here. I'll coach for free. I'll scrub the toilets. Like I want to build something. Um, I could not afford to pay him <laughs> that day that he came in. I could not afford to pay him to do anything. Uh, but I knew that I needed somebody and I was just straight up with him. You know, we, I remember, we went out to breakfast after one of these workouts, and I told him, I was like, man, I'm going to be honest. I need somebody. Uh, it seems like you're the guy. Uh, we're on the same page with all of this stuff. If you're willing to build something, I'm willing to build something. For me, this was a tipping point because it gave me additional accountability. Up until this point, I was coaching all of these classes, and... My accountability was to these classes, to these members, to, you know, new people coming through on-ramp. But there's, a, as you guys know, there's a lot of decisions that pull you in one direction or another when your accountability is so spread out. You have 150 members in your gym. I mean, you've got 150 people that you're accountable for. Like how, like, you know, one person wants this class, another person wants a GHD, another person wants competition bumper plates. It's super confusing. For me, hiring this first person provided me a new focus of accountability. Because now, here, this guy's showing up and he's working for free. He's like cutting horse stall mats with me and like, scrubbing toilets and mopping the like just doing stuff because he wants to be here um he knows that this place has potential now i had this new focus of course my focus is always on my members but there became something additional to it it was i need to find revenue i need to find profit to pay this guy I need to support this guy. I need to help him become a better coach. I need to help him create a career, build up personal training clients. I need to teach him how to do on-ramp and, and then 
we do this for a couple years, and I have to teach him how to train other coaches. It gave me a, just a focus. And since then, it's been – that has helped me so much because, as you guys know, your attention can be pulled in every direction. When you hire your first staff, it's a tipping point because it gives you accountability and focus on them. You can really get laser-like in your desire to provide meaningful income for your staff. So for me, this tipping point was instead of it's just me, you know, founder and owner of the company and all of my clients trying to keep them all happy – Now it became, I need to invest as much time and energy into these coaches as possible. And then from there, they will keep our clients happy. So hiring those first coaches, hiring your first staff, absolutely an additional tipping point. Um, I think that's a good place to leave it in talking about these personal tipping points for me. Um, You know, I kind of looking into the future I, I foresee our next our next tipping point is long longevity uh is time and i wouldn't even call that a tipping point but it, it's an understated part of business that a lot of the business gurus and marketing experts don't don't really talk about and that is like the time factor I, I always refer this to it's I, I call it a massage a massage as, as weird as that sounds but there are a lot of things there are things that are best practice in a business you know and if you're enacting best practice really what you need to do is sort of massage that best practice and add time to the equation it's weird I feel like we as business owners and, and coaches. Oftentimes, we talk to our athletes, and if they're not getting results in two or three weeks, we're like, hey, bro, like, just chill out. Do this for a few years. You'll be amazed at the results that come through consistency. And unfortunately, that time factor, when you, think about, when you talk about the secret recipe, you know, really the ingredient is time. Best practices are out there. Figuring out what works for you is it's intuitive. You're going to figure this out. But it is the time factor that most people don't talk about because honestly, like honestly, it's not a sexy marketing system. I can't sell this sexy marketing system that's like, "Hey, uh, take care of your clients, you know, do some social media advertising, send out newsletters, have a great website, uh, provide a great service that people talk about, and then just let some time pass while doing those things. Continually hone that process and add time to it. Like, that's not sexy. I cannot package that up and sell it to anybody. But it's the truth. Just like we advise our clients in their fitness, hey, mechanics do the right thing you know so for the business owner mechanics is like systems and processes uh it's it's marketing consistently it's brand awareness it's all the things you know you should be doing um doing it consistently like it's i get it man i really get it you wake up on monday morning and you're freaking fired up and you're like making all these posts on facebook you're doing instagram videos you're doing all this stuff you know, but it's that consist that consistency is like doing it on Thursday afternoon when you're exhausted. Like you still need to do that. You need to block out your time and do the stuff you know you need to do. Then we add time into that. So we've got our mechanics, we've got our consistency, we've got time consistently doing those things for years and years and years. I get it. You may like run a challenge or you may do You know, you may get into your first week of writing a blog post. But, like, talk about writing a blog post every week for the next five years. Add time to that equation. And then ramp it up. You know, I mean, everybody that's, like, selling the next marketing system or selling the next business system, all that. Like, honestly, it's like doing the right things, taking care of people, providing an incredible experience, documenting it, sharing it. And just adding time to the equation. It's, it's tremendous what time can do. Uh, it has a, a compounding effect 
on the things that you're doing right. So while it's not a necessarily an exact moment in history that is this tipping point, it is a very real phenomenon that people don't talk about in message boards. You know, when people ask, hey, how do you get more members? How do I break through the 150 member mark? How do I get more people in the door? How do I keep my coaches happy? Like, it's just doing the right thing for years and years and years. Doing the stuff you need to do. Because, you know, you talk about predictions going into the future. Two years ago, I was on this podcast just like, hey, guys, you need to do video content. Do video content. Do video content. Just do it. And now, like today, two years later, now people are doing video content. But the the bar has been raised. You know, like in the example of video content, now you need to do subtitles. Now you may need a little production value around it. You know, think about how people scroll through their Instagram feed. If there's not subtitles, if it's not, I mean, most of the people are at work looking at your stuff. They want to be able to read it. They want headlines. They want a little bit more production value than you in front of a camera. You know, so by doing the right thing, doing it consistently, you'll predict the next trend. You'll see the next trend because you've been practicing it. You know, in the example of video content, it's you'll you'll be involved in it and you'll see the next thing because you're adding time to doing the right stuff. So, those are my tipping points. I want to wrap up this episode with just a <laughs> it's funny. Uh we're like knocking on the door of an hour. I, I went into this thinking that it would be a short episode, but as I started going, it I again I, I just feel incredibly more passionate when I see these shiny objects that are vying for our attention as affiliate owners. Like every day I open up my news feed and it's just another like system or thing. And, but it's like really the best practices are out there. Everybody that you talk to will tell you the best practices. Be consistent with your marketing. Do stuff on social media. Do newsletters. Send out emails. Take care of your members. Have consistent processes. Do onboarding. Like, have a consistent quality product and then add time to the mix. But that's not sexy. That doesn't get a lot of Facebook views. That's not, (laughs) you know, um, as as we know, things that work are not incredibly sexy, um, but they work. They're effective. So uh, I got to think, what is my prediction? What is my prediction going forward? What does the affiliate look like in the future? And I'm of the opinion that the affiliate that becomes the one-stop shop for their members' needs uh, will be the ones that thrive. I've, I've spent some time recently in the last several months uh, looking at the business model of high member gyms. And when I say high member gyms, I'm talking four or 500 plus. There are some that really make it work. Um, but I'm really finding that the longevity in this industry will have to do with providing incredible service and stratified service. Now, I don't mean that you need to start a, you know, no barbells class, you need to do a bar class, you need Pilates, you need TRX, you need, no. When I say all of your needs under the same roof, I'm not saying don't chase down any of these shiny objects. What I'm saying, what are the basic needs of our athletes? Strength, conditioning, flexibility, nutrition, relationships, community. I mean, those are the basic things. So, if you can think about speaking to all the needs of a life, of an athlete over their lifetime and providing high-quality service around those things, that's the tipping point that I believe carries our business model into the future. It's not having like shiny – it's not a spin class in your gym. Um, no, I mean, while that may work, absolutely that may work. That's – you know, but don't do it because it's the shiny object, Right. Add things like nutrition. Add things like specialty programming. You know, consider the needs of your members. When, if a member leaves your gym to go receive another service in the health and fitness space, figure out how many people are going to do that. 
You know, I mean, if you've got 20 members leaving your gym and once a week, you know, leaving your gym one day a week to go to a yoga class and they're spending 20 bucks a class for that yoga class, that's a service that you easily have the space to provide. So why don't you think about providing that for $10 a class? If somebody's going to see a nutritionist outside your door, what can you do to bring somebody in? If they're going to receive like preventative chiropractic care, bring one of those people under. So think about speaking to the needs of all of your athletes for their entire athletic lifespan under one roof. I feel like that will sort of be our next general tipping point. I promised that I had a big announcement at the end of this episode. Those of you that stuck it out through this, congratulations. The announcement is this. Three Two One Go Project is going to be doing the first ever online gym owners growth summit. Now, this isn't a webinar. I mean, this is a summit. This is a three-day online business and marketing event. You can attend this from your gym, a car, you know, park bench, your recliner. There's no travel required for this. I want you guys to mark your calendars and set off some time now. Uh, you, it's quite a ways in the future, but but I'm honestly asking you guys block out these dates, September 27th to the 29th. Uh, the speakers include. So how it's going to work? We're going to have guest speakers. We're going to have live Q and A sessions. The the uh, presentations and the Q and A's will be recorded. You will have access to those for a period of time uh, after the summit. But um. Just to name drop a little bit, our speaker list includes uh, Ben Bergeron, maybe you've heard of him, uh, CrossFit New England, Comp Train, Business of Excellence, Carl Paoli from Freestyle Connection, uh, Chris Spieler from Icon Athlete, CrossFit Park City, uh, CJ Martin from CrossFit Invictus. We've got Hobie Darling. Uh, if you guys don't know Har- Hobie Darling, look this dude up. I got the opportunity to listen to him speak in Park City. Um, this guy is a rock star CEO. He's a former CEO of Skull Candy, um, worked for Nike Digital for some time. This guy has uh, is has one of the more storied careers of all of our speakers. Um, so yeah, check out Hobie Darling. We've got Jason Kalipa, NC Fit, uh, CrossFit Games athlete, uh, Julie Fouché as well um, from Pursuing Health podcast. Um, we've got Valerie Volberl from uh, she's CrossFit Games athlete. Uh, we've got Zach Forrest from Max Effort. We've got Z from Barbells of Boobs from Barbells for Boobs. Uh, she was on the podcast as well. So. Um, Guys, we've got, and the speakers just keep coming in. Uh, So I'm excited to talk more about this as the date approaches, but I definitely wanted to put it on your radar. Block out these dates, September 27th to the 29th. Go reserve your spot, gymownersgrowthsummit.com. Again, gymownersgrowthsummit, all one word, dot com. Um, You can see the speakers list. You can get, you can reserve your spot there. Uh, and learn a little bit more. But we are so excited. Um, That's why I wanted to do this show. I wanted to talk about what are these tipping points that I experienced in my, you know, my own time from owning a gym. Uh, But I've interviewed all of these guys, most everybody on here. I mean, I've interviewed all of these people and they will echo the same thing. They will all tell you there's no magic sauce. There's no secret marketing plan. There's no secret business systems. It's just doing shit really well and doing it consistently. Um, be well worth your time to block out those dates. Again, September 27th to the 29th, uh, gymownersgrowthsummit.com to learn more and reserve your spot. Guys, thanks for tuning in to the 321 Go podcast. Please do me a favor. Head over to iTunes right now. Leave us a review. Um, share it with a friend. If you have a friend that's a business owner that is crushing it, struggling, anywhere in between, uh, share the show with them. Uh, our goal is to just bring reasonable, no-nonsense, tactical business things. I mean, it's just it's, it's not sexy, but the, the stuff works. Doing the right thing and doing it consistently really, really does work. So that's always been my goal with this show. Uh, it's always been my goal anytime I've done business mentoring with somebody. Anything that we put out is just about being reasonable and consistent and, and adding time to the equation. So tune in 
next week. Go reserve your spot over at gymownersgrowthsummit.com. Again, this show is brought to you by Icon Athlete Affiliate Programming. And if you're interested in learning more, iconathlete.com slash 321go. We'll see you next week.